We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A first look at early rookie drafts. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. He's doing some incredible draft work. And Sean, we are both in rookie drafts right now in different leagues that are uh, doing the rookie drafts prior to the NFL draft, which is always a really fun experience. I've been in this league that I'm doing my draft for since I think 2016. And I've always really enjoyed this league where we do make the picks prior to knowing draft capital and all that, which is such a huge part of the equation. And and we have a decent idea of where guys might go, but adds a little layer of, I don't know, randomness. I mean, you're, you're kind of adding a layer of, of unpredictability where you're, you're projecting it, but also without knowing exactly where guys are going to fall sometimes it's fun to kind of make those, you know, those picks in the in the third round and the fourth round that are guys that you really like from a profile perspective. And we don't know yet are going to be day three guys. We can kind of hope might be day two guys or something. But I think before we jump into all that, um, how are you doing? We haven't talked in a week. I, all the, the listeners got the, the follow-up of our draft from the night before I left on my, my road trip. Just a little scatterbrained. I, I hope people weren't too disoriented by those three podcasts that we did. But that was a fun draft. And uh, yeah, I went off on a road trip and, and we're just kind of catching up now for the first time in a few, not quite two weeks, but almost two weeks. So how are you doing? Good, good. And it was fun to do that draft. We again appreciate all the listeners who jumped in, filled that for us. And then we obviously had the draft recap there, some very, very good teams. And it was a lot of fun to to put that together. That was on the FFPC there. So listeners did get there, Philip Ben Gretsch last week, but I did not. We didn't get to chat. And so I'm excited to hear how this all went. You had nine days, 3,500 miles. Uh, I had a lot of these fun vacations with family when I was young, these drives across the country. So I have a little bit of a sense of what this was like. I was very excited for you as I was kind of mentally tracking your progress through the week. But uh, how did this all turn out? Any any hiccups here? I, I'd heard that you did suffer a very minor dad injury. Yeah, yeah. 
we did a couple days at Disneyland in California Adventure. I have a little six-year-old who, I mean, it's a long day. And it was after uh, a few weeks in national parks in Southern Oregon at Grand Canyon. So she was pretty tired by the end of it. And so I had to do some piggybacking from the, you know, all the way around the park and on, on these hikes and things. But especially at the end of both of those days, she was just like falling asleep in the park. And so carrying her back to the hotel and she's just like going limp on my back. You know, you get this, you get this benefit when they're reaching around your neck and kind of holding themselves up a little bit. But she's so falling asleep and, and falling so limp and she's like 55 pounds now and I'm holding her behind my back to the extent that you know I didn't really realize it till the next morning but like my my, my shoulders like I can't reach my arm behind my back still a few days later but you know you got to tough that out when you're a dad and that's just sort of how it is but yeah very minor thing but was uh shoulder was definitely barking at me the next day but yeah no really fun trip we went 3,500 miles as you said we kind of spared no sort of i don't know the way to put it but we we went out of our way to experience as much as we could i've done a, a lot of these road trips as well since i was a kid i have family out in montana i've traveled a lot out into that country which is i mean montana is so beautiful but uh, we we're traveling down through the southwest us we did seven states 3500 miles which for the East Coast or seven states is maybe like a one day drive for, for some of you guys. But out on the West Coast, like to get to seven states <laughs> takes a lot longer. And yeah, that was over nine days. Two of the days were at Disneyland. And so it was really seven days of driving that was like, you know, on those days averaging about 500 miles a day. The last day we went like 14 hours to get all the way home. Um, but yeah, through the trip, we kind of hit everything in my opinion, I mean, I've done a lot of trips into these areas, but uh, tried to touch on most everything that the Southwest U.S. has to offer. We did the, the theme parks and stuff. We did a night in Vegas. We went to Bryce Canyon and Zion and Grand Canyon, did hikes at all those places, did a hike in the Redwoods on the way back, went across the Golden Gate Bridge, went across the Hoover Dam. Just some some really incredible experiences. The kids did really well for the long trip, and it was a blast. I mean, I, I, I you know just getting to be in dad mode. I, I did all of the driving and, um, you know, going on the hikes and taking my wife and daughters and kind of leading them in those spots. Probably my favorite dad mode thing was uh, at Disneyland, Sean. I was just absolutely nailing the sort of the way that you have to manage the, like, the length of the rides and everything. I mean, our rides over expectation metric was through the roof. Very like, nice. Definitely. Very nice. Definitely due for some regression, but we only had a two-day two sample size there. So I I was crushing it, let me tell you. Like, my, my wife always lets me do that. I'm a big kind of a efficiency buff just in life, you know, trying to find life hacks and things. And they have the apps now, and you can see the timing and everything. And we did a little reading. She did a lot of reading before and was telling me which rides are going to be really busy in the morning because people want to get it in and everything. And so I had these strategies i mean i think you go to the the empty parts of the park in the morning like we did splash mountain at like 9 a.m which one of my daughters did not like getting wet that early but <laughs> later in the day it was like a three-hour line when it was hot you know we walked right onto this thing literally almost didn't wait at all um just trying to make sure we can bob and weave and get to all the different places and we were able to do basically all the rides we wanted and really liked multiple times and basically didn't miss a single ride that we wanted to do at least once and and got like i said a lot of the ones we really liked multiple times so it was pretty incredible that was my my one shining moment for sure 
Well, that's great to hear. It's good that you're bringing uh, this tactical mindset to being a dad. We wouldn't want to just waste it on something like fantasy football. So absolutely. Hey, and speaking of one shining moment, while I was gone, your Kansas Jayhawks won the national championship. That was an, a super exciting thing. I was so excited for you. We talked a little bit dating back to like the sweet 16 where in one of my bracket pools with like 15 of my college friends, my kids and, and some of my college buddies' kids filled out brackets. My one daughter had Montana State, a 14 seed in the Elite Eight. She had um, Delaware, a 15 seed in the Sweet 16. She had all these crazy picks. She really liked the Arkansas uh, mascot. I tried to explain to her seeds. So she was figuring out seeds a little bit, but she really liked the Arkansas mascot. She had Arkansas over Gonzaga, which almost nobody had. Nailed that. Had Arkansas going all the way to the championship. She really liked this red pig, as she was saying. But the one mascot she liked above all else that she took over Arkansas in the final was Kansas. And there weren't a lot of people who had picked Kansas to win the title in this bracket pool. that was only like 15 people, like I said. And so we realized by about the Sweet 16 with a lot of the other big names being eliminated, if Kansas went on and won the whole thing, they had to win the whole thing. Because one of my other buddies had, you know, Villanova in the, in the title and even if Kansas were to beat Villanova in the final four, my, my daughter with the crazy bracket wasn't going to make up enough points. She had to get Kansas to win the whole thing to make up enough points and win the bracket. So we, you and I, but we had figured this out by like the Sweet 16. You and I have been talking about it for a couple of weeks. So I congratulated you uh, from Vegas when, when Kansas won the title, but also we were joking and you were messaging that it was really cool that my daughter got to win this bracket at six years old and win all this money. She's, she's so excited. One of my friends said, does she take payment in? gummy worms and she i so i asked her it he he messaged me and she grins ear to ear and she's nodding a bunch and she's like all excited and then she stops and she goes no i want actual money <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was a good try she was definitely bought in but then she thought about it for a second and she i think she realized she could buy a lot more gummy worms if she just got the money there you go that's a that's a good swift reaction there yeah it was fun and it was cool to to know that you were out there, out in the world adventuring, and the Jayhawks win, and, and I get this quick congratulatory message from you. Obviously, I didn't do anything, but I was excited, and the Jayhawks get that biggest halftime comeback ever, and that's what I tell people. I mean, if you want to fill out your bracket correctly, you've got to go with the flightless bird, so especially the fake flightless bird. So we have Kansas through there. They, you know, the way things stand, they may very well be on probation next year just like they were after their 1988 national <laughs> title so i don't know if those are the things you actually want to have connected there in people's minds but an unbelievable college basketball tournament really fun time and it uh yeah it's just been an embarrassment of riches from a fan perspective where the last decade with the royals sort of out of nowhere winning a world series and then the chiefs and Patrick mahomes and then you have the jayhawks the jayhawks have been that team that they are the best team in college basketball but they've been a little bit unlucky and Bill Self needed this sort of for his, not really for his resume, he's in the Hall of Fame already. That part always strikes me as being a little bit odd. But, you know, when when he's out there saying, yeah, we just we need to win more national titles, then I think that gives you some encouragement because he's not shying away from it, doesn't seem nervous. He's just like, yeah, we're, we're going to win some more. So it uh, it was a lot of fun. And the sports have been a lot of fun over the last several years. It very quickly balances out that, chiefs meltdown in the afc championship game so yeah people from they, the kansas city area and and the ncaa commissioner seem to think kind of like 
many of us do that it is the Kansas City Jayhawks. So, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I saw that clip. I mean, first of all, yeah, you and you and my six-year-old, the only ones who are filling out their brackets based on flightless birds, which is just hilarious. But no, it was especially cool because they were the the one seed no one wanted to pick, right? Like I, going into the tournament, I mean, they were the most popular one, I think, to fail. Or I guess Baylor. A lot of people were picking Baylor to fail as well. But they were like, <clears throat> in terms of like game theory, picking Kansas to win your bracket was probably a really huge boost because not a lot of people wanted to pick Kansas. I know in the one tournament I was in, my daughter and one other person were the only people to pick Kansas to win their bracket. You know, mostly Gonzaga and Arizona and a little bit of like Kentucky and, and stuff like that, but not a lot of faith in Kansas. So that probably made it a little more fun as they were kind of, even as they progressed, like we got to the Sweet 16, some of the other one seeds were falling off. The odds to win the whole thing were still, I mean, I remember in the Sweet 16 seeing some odds to win in, Maybe it was the Elite Eight at that point after Houston had beat Arizona, right? They beat Arizona. Houston was like now the favorite to win the whole thing. Kansas was maybe third or fourth. And they were like, uh, I think the last one seed left. And it was just like, man, the disrespect here. So they were always kind of the underdogs, even into even into the, the final four. Duke was sort of favored at that point. But Kansas was able to. And then, like you said, in the national championship, they're down. They're down 15 points at halftime, right? It was 15. I only caught you know bits and pieces of the game. I saw as much as I could, but we were kind of doing some stuff. Um, but I, I think it was what 40 to 25 at half, if I'm not mistaken. And then it looks like they're gonna fall there, and they come all the way back and win it. So that was really exciting. I did get a catch in the end, which was super exciting to see them come back and win. And, for you, I was definitely rooting for him for you, obviously, for my daughter as well. We were at dinner at that point. I was watching on my phone on the table, and she's sitting right next to me watching it. <laughs> oh, she doesn't understand the sport, but she knows numbers. You know, she's like, the numbers are getting closer, and now my team's winning. And and so that was uh, quite the experience for sure. And it, it was an experience all year long. As a Kansas fan, the fans were not confident in this team. Bill Self liked to tell everybody that they uh, the team thought that they were better than they were, which – Again, it uh, another sign that confidence is, is probably not going to hurt you in most circumstances, especially if you combine that with great teamwork, great work ethic, all of those types of things. So it, it was fun. We always kind of joke that, I mean, that Kansas team would probably not have beaten too many of the Kansas teams from the last 20 years, but all that matters is you come through and, and win that last game. So it was a lot of fun. But we have these rookie drafts that are going, and you mentioned – some of the importance here, the league that you're in, I'm in a separate league that has the super flex element. Then these early rookie drafts can be used in a variety of ways, right? Number one, we have some listeners out there who are in early rookie drafts of their own. Number two, we have the Rotoviz Triflex leagues are up and running. And I'm getting some uh, different invitations to join leagues that are trying to fill. And, and those are always very appealing in that Triflex format the rookies are going to be in there in the startup draft and so you've got to make some decisions in terms of how you're going to approach them in those startups and then all of us are trying to figure out where we need to trade into our drafts in order to prepare for the drafts that actually come after the rookie draft and then finally it gives us a little bit of a, a baseline to see how things are changing sometimes you get that overreaction you mentioned that when you have these early drafts you have to go out there and say look i i believe in this player 
not necessarily regardless of where he's drafted, but I think he's going to be drafted in a good spot, number one. But then as we kind of go along too, maybe some of these second and third round picks, I think, are going to be able to withstand maybe a draft spot that is not quite as good. Even if they fall, I think they're going to be one of those guys, you know, who are a third day sleeper. And so we like those particular players. So a lot of things that we can gain from these early drafts. Run through us the the first several picks and and where you were going. You had the 102. You mentioned that you were trying to trade out. What are some of the considerations for you at the beginning of this draft? Yeah, so this is a 1QB tight end premium. So we don't get the super flex element, but we do get the the tight end premium element. Um, Brees Hall went 101. And I mean, the the truth of the matter is that I got back from my road trip at 2 a.m. the night before this draft started out. They were holding it up kind of for me, which was very much appreciated. But I was very out of it because the last day we were planning to to stop and then sort of, but we hadn't booked it. We were keeping open this option and we decided we'd push through and made about a 14-hour drive the last day. We drove over 900 miles the, the last day. And so getting home really late and hopped up on caffeine and everything, then trying to wake up the next day and think about my rookie draft first thing in the morning was not particularly easy. But uh, I, I messaged you as well. I was like, hey, you know, uh, what, what, are, what are you thinking about these uh, this next group of receivers? I was looking at Burks, Wilson, and London, obviously, at one of two. I was trying to trade back. Um, pretty comfortable. You know, I was thinking Kenneth Walker would probably go in the first few picks and so i was kind of trying to trade back at 105 and even if those receivers went i could probably take jameson williams at that point but ultimately i wasn't able to get any kind of a trade back done and so i took Traylon burks and then sort of as expected right behind him went garrett wilson kenneth walker drake london and jameson williams at 106 and then chris Olave at 107 and so the the first thing that I mean, we've talked a little bit about this rookie receiver class that it's a little deeper than people realize. But like one of the first things that I realized in this rookie draft was without the depth at running back, especially with Isaiah Spiller not looking as great. And he goes at 109 in this. Um, Rashad White is a really interesting name as well. He goes at 201. But even by that point, there's only four running backs gone in, you know, in, in through the first 13 picks. <clears throat> and I was at 202 as well. This is a team that did finish second to last. I'm in a deep rebuild, um, hoping that my Burks pick doesn't doom him because I have managed to hit on basically every major rookie bust over the last several years. Uh, go all the way back to the first year we did this, and I took Leonte Carew <laughs> in the first round uh, in the pre-draft because I didn't know his draft capital yet, but was really excited about Leonte Carew. A couple years ago, I took uh, Nikhil Harry. I took LaVisca Chanel and Henry Ruggs. I took Terrace Marshall last year. Basically, every receiver I've taken in the first round or the first half of the second round, some of those were early second round picks, has been kind of the um, biggest miss of that year for sort of our type of analytical process. So it's been this one team that is really, it was really good from the, the first couple of years that I did this league, but as I started to need to get reinforcements, they just have not necessarily come. So I've kind of sold off and tried to reload, but yeah, this team, not particularly good. And was there also at two Oh two and was able to get sky more there, which I was really stoked about. But after more Jahan Dotson goes, Christian Watson, Justin Ross goes at two Oh five, John Mechie two Oh six, but that point at two Oh six in this one QB league, 
you know, there, a lot, I think a lot of those names are interesting receivers, but the biggest thing that I learned in this was with only four running backs gone by that middle of the second round point, a lot of receivers are gone. You know, that depth, that receiver, those interesting names that certainly in super flex, they're going to maybe last to the late second. But if you're in a one QB league, they're, they're going to like potentially be dried up by the middle of the second round. And, and you always talk about these early second round picks late first as being a really good window for receivers. I think that showed in this draft that I did where there was several interesting options. George Pickens went 110, David Bell went 112. Uh, and then more and all these others that I just mentioned into the second. I was really excited about getting Sky Moore at 202. But being at 207, you're already at this point where it's like there's a lot of ways you can go, and it's kind of tough. So it's a pretty big drop-off from you know Sky Moore at 202 down to, to 207. And it's interesting to look at your draft here because we do see a number of – dynamics that have kind of been in development over the last you know three or four seasons you mentioned that Olave goes sort of at the back end of this first wide receiver run and Chris Olave interesting because he has this four-year tag on him and yet many of the the drafts out there many of the mocks including by mockers who are very connected to the industry and know the things that are being said by actual NFL decision makers are saying he could be the first wide receiver off the board, right? Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be Wilson or London who take that top spot. Both of them are very popular as well, but it's interesting to have Olave up there. Williams, obviously the big wild card there because both the reality draft team that selects him and then whoever picks him in your rookie draft you know, those managers are going to have to wait in all likelihood for the second half of that season. And then if we think of what has generally happened, although increasingly these rookies are making big impacts, you know, even to the front half of that season, but if then there's a little bit of the slow development, you know, perhaps it's really his second year where you get kind of the, the second half of that rookie season kind of boost. And so you're possibly going to have to wait. So it's interesting to see Olave go at the end there, but we know that he's you know, got that four-year tag attached to him. And so especially then not necessarily being a big guy who is seen as a potential you know, number one. And, and you and I talk a lot on the show, and you especially like to emphasize that thinking about receivers in terms of the clear one or alpha and then the two and that type of thing can be misleading in terms of what it's telling you about their actual opportunity and what the range of outcomes might be, uh, both for an entire season, but then also for a stretch as we look at guys who can make a big impact over the course of the playoffs, tournaments, that kind of thing. Without him having the size of a London or a Burks, he's also losing kind of that second element there of, you know, maybe people don't see him as the ceiling. So you have that four-year tag. And then Dotson is the second one. I mean, here's a player going after more after White. Rashad White, a very interesting guy. As you mentioned, he looks very good in the backfield dominator ratings that Blair Andrews just put out on Rotoviz this week. He's somebody who is big, who is athletic, who is a receiver. And yet when you go in and look at some of the actual comps, that's going to, I think, slow people down a little bit. He's definitely someone where, and this, you know, maybe uh, unfortunately for running backs, and one of the dynamics we see with running backs is that 
more true at that position, but it's going to be very dependent on where he lands. Is there an opportunity? Is it with a coaching staff that will take advantage of the very clear skills that he has? You know, or is he going to be used in a more kind of humdrum type of role where they're not really taking advantage of him? But you see Dotson here behind some of those guys who have strengths and weaknesses behind an Isaiah Spiller, and Dotson, someone else who consistently projected in the first round. Now, being consistently projected in the first round doesn't necessarily mean that the guy is a great prospect. That's one of the things that we're seeing in these fantasy drafts is that the participants know what some of the big red flags are. You have Christian Watson going one pick after. He's someone who is not as consistently projected in the first round, but definitely people think he could go in the first round after the combine that he had. And so we have a little bit of maybe a tear break at that point too as we're looking at it. So again, there you have Olave and then Willis as the first QB spiller Pickens picking someone I think with a massively wide range of outcomes in terms of not only what he's going to do in the NFL, but where he could go in drafts. You see him projected in the first round. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes, you know, toward the end of day two, hopefully he doesn't. I mean, he's somebody I'm pretty excited about. So maybe it's more that I'm just concerned about some of the Debbie shares that I have and, and worried unnecessarily but you, you got a wide range there trey mcbride pretty clearly the top tight end bell ben this is one of those frustrating deals where at some point you want to tell the guy just to not run right just like don't work out for people because he has the bad combine reportedly then goes and has a bad pro day it's like you've got this keenan allen jarvis landry type of profile now people are gonna say well those aren't the same kind of guys but maybe in between them in terms of sort of stylistically what he's going to do and in terms of comping to a lot of the things that they put out there pre-NFL draft it's like quit proving to people that you don't really have the athleticism that they want to see just go based on what you've done on the field which is fantastic then White, Dotson, Watson and then we have our guy Justin Ross not a great pro day from him as well I think that's kind of where the tier break goes is that kind of conceptualization of this portion of the draft accurate? Yeah, that's sort of how I saw it. Um, hearing you talk about Dotson and Watson, I mean, I was looking at both of them as well when I, because I'm the one who took more at 202. I didn't expect more to make it there because there's been a lot of buzz about him, but something we've sort of talked about is maybe there's been too much buzz in relation to some of these other guys. So I'm first off sort of curious if you think Dotson should have gone ahead of more because I kind of picked that up a little bit. I was excited to get more because I mean, his profile is really interesting. And he is also someone that I have seen mocked like, or at least discussed as a potential late first, but probably a very likely second round pick, not likely to be like a fourth round pick or anything. There is enough positive sort of more momentum around his skill set and the way that he tested and all of these things in addition to how productive he was. So my first thought back to you is, you know, I was definitely looking at Dotson and Watson and thought that that was the tear break. I agree with you. And and so, like I even said to you before the show, we love Justin Ross. We've joked that we're going to get him in every single rookie draft. I kind of felt like I was going to try to trade back into the late second to potentially get Ross. The fact that he ended up going at 205, I kind of had to just shrug my shoulders and go, okay, well, I'm not getting him in every league. I really like him, but I'm very, very comfortable with Sky more three picks ahead of Ross. I basically don't expect those two guys to be three picks apart in any other rookie draft I do. I expect more to probably not go any later than 202 other than in maybe uh, super flex ones, which I guess probably most of my other ones are, but still probably go in this 202 range, even when there's more quarterbacks going ahead of him. 
and then Ross to be more like a 210 type pick a lot further down after sort of this, you know, tier break that you were discussing. I think Ross made sense there at 205. If you weren't able to get out of that spot, like that's probably the pick I would have made there because I'm very high on him, but I just sort of didn't expect him to necessarily go there. The buzz hasn't been great. And as you mentioned to me before the show, because the buzz hasn't been great, his draft capital might not be great. And then he might get a little cheaper after the actual NFL draft, which we'll kind of wait and see for that to come around before potentially scooping him up at a little bit more of a value, maybe even into the third round of some of the super flex drafts. Hey, RotoViz fans. This is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal RotoViz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RVRADIO2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year RotoViz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You were also talking about the first round of the actual draft, the early first round. And I've been seeing Jameson Williams be talked about as the first receiver off the board. You mentioned him as sort of the wild card, obviously, as he rehabs the ACL. You have London, you have Wilson, you have Alava. You didn't mention Burks. And it sounds like Burks probably isn't in the mix to be the first receiver off the board. But one of the things you mentioned to me that I thought was really interesting for these pre-NFL draft rookie drafts is that Burks maybe is the one that looks 
more likely to fit into the late first round, which is that area that we've talked on some past shows. There's some really good offenses that are in the market for a receiver. It could be the Chiefs. It could be the Packers. It could be, you know, the Browns. There's a, several teams that you could wind up being tied to a really good quarterback right away. Uh, the Bills have also, I think, been mentioned. That's pretty interesting for Burks, right? Is that, I mean, obviously we want the really high draft capital, and I think that's great. But like the Jets, for example, are a team that a lot of these guys are being mocked to early. I think London gets paired with the Jets a lot. And that was something that I was considering, certainly, when you mentioned that it really stuck with me, where I, I really like Drake London too, and I wasn't necessarily using worse draft capital as a tiebreaker, but I do think London landing with the Jets, while you know, if that happens at the top of the draft would be great in terms of draft capital and his opportunity is certainly a little bit concerning if Zach Wilson never really pans out relative to the potential for Burks to say land with Aaron Rodgers, right? What What are your thoughts on Burks and what you're seeing? I haven't looked at a lot of mocks. I've been driving around the country. What are your thoughts on where Burks might go and, and how that will affect the way that the market views him? Because you know, draft capital is super, super important. And yet we know landing spot is sort of overvalued. And if Brooks does land in one of these really nice spots, or I guess Dallas is another one that that I haven't said yet. If Brooks lands in one of these really nice spots, that's probably going to be really positive for his value in dynasty leagues for better or worse. Essentially, he might wind up going higher, <clears throat> excuse me, higher than like a London, even though he got drafted later, like just say purely hypothetically, London goes to the Jets much higher, but Burks goes to the Packers later in the first. I would expect the market to react with Burks being more popular at that point. How do you reconcile all those things? Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. And you mentioned kind of his trajectory in mocks. And again, some of these mocks are, are going to be tracking a little more closely what NFL decision makers are saying than others. But you had him kind of at the back end of this group early. And then moving up really to where you were starting to hear him at the top going into the combine. And I think that one of the things that happened there was you did get a lot of people across, you know, all areas of football and, and football analytics and, and, you know, football punditry understanding that, look, I mean, this profile is, is actually just astonishingly good. And it doesn't probably make sense for him to be a wide receiver who's going at the end of the first round. And then he has the combine and it wasn't even that it was bad. It was just a disappointed people compared to what they thought might be possible. And so then he falls back to that area that he was in originally, especially because a few of the other guys did pop a little bit in terms of a speed perspective. Some of those smaller guys need to be fast. I mean, that's really the truth of it. You see speed overdrafted in the first round of the NFL draft at wide receiver consistently. And yet at the same time for the smaller players, they just, they have to have that. I mean, that's an important part of being able to do what you need to do as a wide receiver at that size. So it was good for them. Right. But then you come back in the situation now and you look at Burks and his profile, the numbers that he put up at the experience level he was at when he put those up against the competition that he was facing. And then you look at his size and Larry Andrews has all kinds of fantastic wide receiver research. Some of it that you know I've been going through and incorporating into articles, both written and things that are kind of come out of these next two weeks are some machine learning types of things that he has done. And one of the things that pulls out is that when you have 
the size of Burks with the production that he's had, he feels he fits into this really elite category of wide receiver prospects. Well, you take that that category, you put him in the first round anywhere, and then you put him on the Packers or you put him on the Chiefs. You mentioned some of those other teams. Uh, I don't think that the Bills are going to use a first-round pick at wide receiver. They've got a good group there with Diggs. Gabriel Davis, I think, is fantastic. I mean, he certainly looked that way in the playoffs. Jamison Crowder, I think, is an upgrade on Cole Beasley. But you do have smart people saying that they might do that, right? I mean, it is it is a possibility. The Bills are a team a little bit like what we saw last year with the Bengals, where they're like, you know what wins is – first half passing we can blow everybody out we're going to throw the ball and one of the things that we can improve on this slight dip that we got from josh allen last year would be to put another star wide receiver in so it is a possibility if burks falls into that range his chances of hitting into a great situation are fantastic and so i mean i think there's a real shot that post draft he's back to the 101 even right because these running back situations i think Brees hall is a fantastic prospect but when I mean, you've got a chance either to hit in an offensive situation where you're gonna have to share time and you get knocked down sort of like Javante Williams did last year, where you go into a situation with, you know, the Texans or the Jets or the Dolphins. And you're just like, you know, is Brees Hall by himself going to make that situation work? Now the Dolphins could be pretty exciting, right? But they do have some other pieces in there. So you have complicating elements to the running back theses with Burks. It just looks very, very good. And I would throw more into that as well. I think that, on the one hand, I do think he's probably generated a little more buzz than is justified. I would have liked to see him be even a little more athletic at his size and with the mid-major kind of profile. And yet with that as like this very little nitpicky kind of thing, his profile, and I did the Checking All the Boxes article for the second volume of the Road of His Rookie Guide. I mean, his profile is very good, right? And he's exciting. And he seems like one of these guys where nfl decision makers don't seem to be looking at the small school aspect of it and saying look you know this is apples and oranges this guy can't play i mean you hear a lot of people say there's no way he's going to fall out of the second round probably not even out of the middle of the second round he's another guy who's connected to the chiefs right and you've got to be careful because i think that you know i know that i'm an enthusiast and an optimist and it's easy for me to see scenarios that are very positive because i want them to be the case and then you know a team does something like Clyde Zolero or jonathan taylor but it does feel somewhat unlikely to me that Moore makes it past the pick that the Chiefs picked up in the Tyreek Hill trade, you know, somewhat early there in the second round. And so, I mean, for me, I think you probably got a pretty good floor. And one of the things that, you know, we're looking at with this draft that is so interesting, you mentioned there are just no running backs being taken. And yet these wide receivers do fill a lot of spots and somebody is going to fall. Right. But most of these guys are going to end up being drafted, you know, by pick 45 and definitely by pick 90. And so from that perspective, I think you've got a pretty good floor and then just, you know, mouthwatering upside for so many of these players. It's interesting because we're in this new era where teams know they need to be four receivers deep. And we've seen more and more receivers go in the first couple of days in these last, say, five years. We've seen some drafts with just tons and tons of receivers through round three. And that's good draft capital, right? We've seen some really kind of even questionable names for fantasy land in those ranges, you know, like uh, Dwayne Eskridge last year, or I can't even think of his name, but um, the 150 pounder for the Rams. <laughs> Why can't yeah, I? Tutu Atwell. Tutu Atwell. I couldn't think of his name. 
uh, going in the second round. I mean, these teams are really investing at receiver. And I think that makes sense from a macro NFL perspective. And But then I, that leads me to this next question, which is like, how much do we then, I, I think we're in agreement and correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, that landing spot is not as important as it's made out to be. But we're also somewhat in agreement, or I think perhaps even more in agreement, that number one, this rift that we've talked about on the show since we launched this show last summer between the haves and have nots at the NFL is widening between the teams that understand, like you said, like the Bengals and Bills that you need to throw to win. And the teams that don't understand that is widening. Um, and, and thus the fantasy value in passing games is widening from number one, the already pretty large gap between having a competent quarterback and an, and an incompetent quarterback but then number two, this play style perspective, just increasing that gap where not only is the competent quarterback better, but he's now getting the opportunity to throw more passes as well. And you might have the third receiver on an offense like that be significantly better, frankly, and more reliable and even with more upside than the number one on one of these really poor offenses. And it's it's certainly upside wise, I would say, you know, I mean, this is like the, I guess the Brandon cooks thing where Brandon cooks got off to a really hot start last year. And I remember in stealing signals all, all year, I was like, look, I just don't think he can sustain this in this offense. And they're off their passing game actually wound up being okay with Davis mills, but he had to come back to earth because they had to have some games where they were only throwing for 200 yards. I mean, they just weren't good. And so cooks actual season long upside and this ability to have monster gains. If your passing offense can't generate, you know, huge, passing yardage in a game which the bills and the chiefs and all these teams can what does that mean for even the top player and so anyway that gap on an nfl level continues to widen and with more receivers getting more draft capital the question becomes even among people who maybe think the landing spot isn't as significant we have to start to acknowledge that it's getting more significant it is it is becoming relevant perhaps moving just because of the nature of the sport and the way it's moving toward what the masses were sort of maybe potentially erroneously valuing it as prior you know we talked the example that always gets thrown around is aj brown getting discounted so heavily because he landed with the titans and aj brown being aj brown has meant that he's been very good even though he's on the titans but still he's been held back by that offense i mean i think that's no question aj brown could be even more dominant I mean, he could be the best receiver of all time, really, frankly. Um, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. It's a really interesting thought process that, like I said, when you mentioned that that comment about Burks to me the other day, it really stuck with me. And I'm certainly not going to ever make landing spot the most important thing or even a, a very significant thing. But I would say even two or three years ago, I'd gotten to the point where I was not going to consider landing spot at all. I think now you have to, you have to consider landing spot, both in terms of the player value in the market, which is, is, is important. It's probably something that I was missing two or three years ago that the ability, the liquidity of being able to move these players and trades and things like that. People care that they're, you know, players are tied to good offenses or good quarterbacks, but also everything I just said about where we are now is really, is really changing my opinion on that where, for a draft like this, there's a lot of interesting receivers and 
I mean, we know that receiver is the position driven most by talent, but there is this element where a lot of these guys could succeed in the right offense. I mean, Van Jefferson has been notable just purely because of the Rams. <laughs> okay. I'm getting all my hot takes in right now, but um, I, I actually strongly believe that. I believe that was largely due to landing spot and location and that people think he's more than he is. But what about a Christian Watson or Jahan Dotson? You know, these guys that you never did answer that question. So let me just ask that question first. Who would you have taken there at 202 between them and Sky Moore? Because I'm sure a lot of the listeners want to know your opinion, which is going to come with more um, conviction than than my decision to take more. But then also just this I, bigger idea about how much should we be weighing in landing spot right now? Well, I would have taken more there. I like that pick for the reasons that you outlined. But Dotson is somebody I want to get a lot of, especially you know if you have this window. We're drafting right now in a Rotoviz underdog staff draft, and I made the sort of unusual choice of starting with Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley. And so then I have to have this entire draft that is sort of the flip of what I usually do. And it's kind of fun, right? Because you can get in there and get all these guys that you think maybe there's some value, but they would never work in your normal structure. And so I'm getting exposure to a lot of the sort of role players. And I was kind of thinking about that within the context of our draft recap the other day, where I was saying that one of the teams there mostly had role players. Was that really what he wanted to fill out this team that has started off in a different direction. And then I find myself doing the same thing and getting these guys who are attached to elite offenses, because especially within the context of best ball, where you're going to be able to play different players and you're going to be able to benefit from the huge results when they actually happen, as opposed to having to pick them out ahead of time. You know, you mentioned the landing spot and the location. That's exactly what I'm trying to do on the second half of this draft, where I'm trying to get all of these players that, you know, they're not stars, but, you know, they are attached to Mahomes or Herbert or Allen, you know, those types of guys. And then the other part of that is to try and find players who might have some other type of undervaluing. And I think Dotson is the guy now because everybody knows that when someone stays in school for four years, there's this massive difference in terms of whether they over or underperform the draft slot. And sometimes, and I'm not saying that that's what is necessarily happening here, but there is still an element where the draft slot anchors to such a spot where even if you underperform that, if you were drafted early enough, then you're going to come out there. You're going to get an opportunity. If you have somebody who maybe there are some good elements to their resume, if they have the speed, if they go, I mean, if, if Dotson, for example, is on the Kansas City Chiefs, then you're going to want to have a part of that. I think that he is so inexpensive right now because people understand the red flags and because the class is deep that you actually have this amazing opportunity to get a lot of shares. And then, you know, if you're in a best ball situation, for example, then you just know that you're going to have gotten those shares less expensively. If you're in Dynasty, you're going to be able to flip those shares and get maybe get back out of this issue where there were some red flags. You don't want to have that throughout the season, but you're going to be able to make a big profit in the short term just because of what the valuation is now. And so that's one of the things that is fun about this year and some of these opportunities over the next two or three weeks is that there are players like Dotson and Watson. You can say, well, you know, Watson has, has risen so much 
you know, do I want to chase that? Well, it's like as soon as he's drafted in the first 45 picks, he's going to go up more. And so, you know, we want to be out ahead of that, have it, and then make those trades. And so, you know, we look at this here and, and you're thinking, well, I would love to have players with that kind of profile late in the second round. And yet at the same time, actually, some of these are good prices. I think go right back to what we're talking about here with these first half of the second round picks in dynasty are just so valuable you want to be making as many moves as you can to get second round picks you know don't be overconfident in terms of where people are going to land in your league now maybe somebody is in the middle of a massive rebuild somebody else has like five first round draft picks so you know you're confident that team is going to land in the first couple the other team's going to land in the bottom couple most of the teams in your draft there's a huge range that they could land in some of their players are going to get injured somebody has you know four of their starters get hurt you know, suddenly that person's second round pick is very valuable. So don't be overconfident in terms of even like who you're going to get second round picks from. Just get as many as you can and then play this out. And then Ben, the next thing from this is that this is a super weak running back class. It's demonstrated very clearly in this draft that you're doing here. And yet in the third round now, you're going to have a bunch of names of guys who were, you know, decent college players. They're going to be picked in the NFL draft. A few of them are going to go into interesting spots. So if you stockpiled third round picks and running back as a position you need to attack you're going to have some opportunities here yeah i i talked about how poor i've done at drafting receivers in this league over the last couple of years i had back-to-back third round picks last year and took um michael carter and ramondre stevenson early thirds uh in single qb though pre-draft took those two guys and and they've both gained a ton of value that has really been a, a helpful boost to my overall roster right now that, that I have those two guys going into year two. And I'm looking definitely for those types of players into, you know, I, my next pick is three ten, and then I have a four two and a four ten. So, yeah, I think that's with, with how few running backs have gone off the board in this draft. I think that's a great point. I do want to circle back now on the landing spot comment, because you, I think you just did a really good job of kind of laying out, how you think about this sky more Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson group and Watson to me, it sounds like you're less excited about than more and Dotson who are guys that could be really interesting based on their profiles. Let's do a hypothetical and say, Christian Watson goes to the chiefs in the late first and more and Dotson both go in the second to nondescript landing spots. Would you take Watson over those two names in a rookie draft post draft in that scenario? I would. And Again, there are a lot of red flags here. We don't necessarily see this profile work out. And yet, I think you've got to be aware of this combination of athleticism. You know, just not just someone who could be a viable player, but someone who could be a superstar. And then you're with Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, for the very things that you said, I mean, the the most kind of noteworthy thing about last year for me was just how DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin were not viable starters during last year's fantasy playoffs. And, and that's that's in leagues where we're trying to start four wide receivers, right? So if you're picking players in the first four or five rounds who your team then makes it to where you need to be and you cannot play those guys in a four wide receiver type of starting lineup when it matters the most, that's an issue. Right now, that doesn't mean that things couldn't change because, again, we get overconfident 
about the past or the future resembling, you know, what just happened. There's a possibility here that Carson Wentz could actually help Washington. I don't think that's very likely, but it's possible. There's a possibility that Kenny Pickett is drafted number six overall or Matt Corral, Malik Willis. Those guys come in and by midseason, they're doing, you know, what Deshaun Watson did or what Patrick Mahomes did in his second year, which he almost certainly would have done as a rookie. Maybe not. I mean, the Chiefs do like to continue to sort of maintain this narrative of him improving throughout that season <laughs> but you know things that justin herbert did as a rookie things that were not expected and then suddenly those guys are stars so i'm not saying don't go out there and, and draft really good players like dj moore and terry mclaurin but the fact of the matter is that the quarterback in the offensive situation is going to matter and it's especially going to matter i think if your team is built around wide receiver and your whole idea is like we're going to start four wide receivers who are in the top 10 to 15 guys at the position. And that's why we're going to win tournaments. And that's why we're going to win our league. You know, it's harder to do that if those guys are DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin. So that matters a lot. That was enough negativity about DJ Moore. You said you couldn't play him. You could play him. Believe me, I was playing him. You, it was possible to play DJ Moore and keep telling yourself that he's going to have a 200-yard game. Good Lord, that was a DJ lot of Moore, negativity. DJ um, Moore came in behind Jarvis Landry in the uh, Big Week 17. <laughs> oh, oh, man. No, yeah, we kid, but you you being the eternal optimist, I couldn't I couldn't let any, any negativity about DJ Moore slide without a comment. Sean, you were talking about some of the running backs into this late group. I know you have a couple favorites just sort of Looking through your rankings, I talked on a previous show about how cool the new dynasty rankings are. I've been looking at your rankings uh, uh, quite a bit, frankly. Tell us a couple of these like third round running backs that if you get into a draft like this single QB draft that I'm in, where even into the middle of the second, there's only been four running backs. And, you know, I'm here now at 304 and there's only been four more, you know, so we have eight backs off the board. The next ones to go after those top four were Zamir White, Brian Robinson, Tyler Algier, and Damian Pierce. There's a lot of, there's like a big cluster here. There's a lot of names, including those four and several more. And certainly draft capital comes into play big time. We want the ones that could potentially be day two picks. I think that is sort of the case for Algier or like one of the big talking points. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't actually know that well. Um, again, been driving around, not never really super tuned into this stuff anyway, but been driving around the entire West Coast for the last you know couple uh week plus, and so not kind of just talking off of what I've seen little bits and pieces here. But there's those four guys, there's a few more. I've seen the name that I've seen that you have ranked kind of highly that I'd love to hear you talk about is Tyler Beatty, I believe is how you pronounce it. But who of these guys are your favorites? Yeah, I, I'm kind of back around to thinking that a little bit what we want late are players who have been extremely productive have the chance to be kind of that next wave of pass catching back we just had peter overset on overtime and he was talking about how those backs more or less did nothing last season and so they're going to be very inexpensive but they're a key part of the zero rb sort of landscape or framework and then you get those guys really late and they can balance out help you bridge across and so you know i'm 
thinking that perhaps for a while I was very skeptical of the Georgia guys because you, you know, you're on a national champion and your production still isn't there. And yet obviously there's have been some injuries in the past. They've got a split time with each other. They tested a little bit more, uh, tested a little bit better athletically than I was expecting. White may be ready to come back. We had Matt Hicks on overtime few weeks ago he was fantastic he was somebody who you know mentioned to me you know go watch watson we just talked about and you will not believe how big he is with how smooth he's out there playing and again we don't do a lot of like actual scouting scouting but one of the things that always stood out and is interesting about like noah fant versus albert o is just how much smoother albert o is and just like the ridiculous fluidity of the athleticism at that size well watson has that you know white somebody who maybe getting a little bit closer to being back to what he was as a recruit coming into high school with that cook somebody who could be the this next wave of pass catching back and then Beatty and Goodson I think that I don't know I'm kind of back and forth with this but you know so much of the NFL now it seems to be like team big running back small wide receiver I, I'm still the big the team big wide receiver small running back guy where i like these players who come in around 200 pounds but have the speed to get to daylight on occasion i mean they're not jonathan taylor you prefer to have jonathan taylor but when you're talking about price you know we're looking at some of these smaller guys who can still you know run in the four fours they can get to that hole they can be the pass catching back for the team and we're good I mean, Tyler Goodson comes out there and has this amazing score in the backfield dominator rating, Beatty, the most productive back in the SEC. I mean, you're talking about players who have been good on the football field. And I think that, you know, so often, and, and there are a couple of guys, and I'm not going to pull the names out because, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for them too. I'm not rooting against these guys, but there are some players who were just simply not that productive that are, are a little bit trendier. And like those guys, I mean, for a while there was kind of funny because it seemed like every year the Houston Texans would spend two sixth and seventh round picks on guys who had been you know unsuccessful college players like you know that's not what we're looking for production translates guys who are really good yeah maybe they're not going to be superstars at the nfl level but you want somebody who who flashed and, and has this production so there are guys in this draft who are going to be able to do things for nfl teams and have a role which again in best ball is going to help you you know as injuries happen to teams i mean at this point in his you know draft process people were not thinking that okay austin eckler is going to be able to do christian mccaffrey types of things but you get those guys in and people like a darren sproles you know same type of thing superstars even if they then translate to the nfl and are not that same type of three down back now eckler last season obviously was fantastic did all of those things that people were skeptical about but, you know, those guys are good. And I don't think that these guys have quite that same level of athleticism. It's easy to miss just how athletic Darren Sproles and Austin Eckler are. But there are guys who are good college players, who are good athletes, who are going to be available in the third round of rookie drafts. Love that. And then to, just to close, we never talked about your rookie draft, which is just sort of starting. It is super flex. You sent sort of the first eight picks. It went Brees Hall, Malik Willis, Drake London, Kenneth Walker, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave. So that same thing where Olave got tied in right at the back of that tier and, and Williams also behind the top three receivers. The biggest thing I think for me that stood out here, well, first of all, it's super flex and Willis is the only quarterback who's gone through eight picks, which usually you'll see a couple more, but we know this is not a vaunted quarterback class. Even with that element considered, 
really interesting to see Burks at five, to see Wilson at six, to see Williams at seven even. Kenneth Walker going ahead of Burks and Wilson is not – I mean, he looks really interesting, very explosive. I saw some stuff that talked about his receiving ability because, you know, he didn't catch a lot of passes in college. But back in high school, that got me more excited about Walker as one of these guys that maybe just wasn't asked to catch a lot of passes in college. And he does have, you know, the athleticism and ton of rushing production last year at Michigan State. But I don't know that I could take him over Burks and Wilson right now. Uh, especially pre-draft when we're looking at Burks and Wilson as pretty much locks in the first round. We don't necessarily know where Walker were landing. As you talked about, there are just so many better receiver landing spots right now than running back landing spots on top of the, the draft capital element where Walker could wind up being, you know, a late second round pick or a, a third round pick. And these guys are going to be first rounders. But I guess, number one, you didn't add any names here. Did you make any of these picks? And you talked in the intro about talking about where we might want to trade in and things. This feels like a spot in your draft where you don't necessarily want to be trading it. And after Wilson Williams and even Alave have now gone, there's a pretty big drop off. I think after that Wilson and Williams group down to the next picks. Now, maybe it's worth trading in to try to get your hands on one of these other quarterbacks who probably shouldn't be going this late. Some of, you know, you mentioned some of them might go six overall. Uh, or there's been discussion of multiple of them going to the Panthers here in the top 10. And I mean, if you can get a top 10 drafted quarterback at the back end of the first round in a super flex, I mean, I think almost regardless of the player, you want to make that pick, right? That's something that you've kind of mentioned to me before, but talk a little bit about your strategy in this, any moves you've made or where you would be looking to move back in. And again, you're only here in the first round. Right, and this is one that I am doing with Sam Wallace, and we made the decision to kind of go the opposite direction of what you and I did in our TriFlex draft, where we did use our future picks to try and make more picks in the startup draft. And so we don't have a first-round pick here. It's interesting because people say, well, is that the exact opposite? It's not exactly, because the players that we moved into Target are very young. And so partly what we do is we move all of the value of the team into the current year, but with players who are going to have then a very wide window. So that's just a little kind of asterisk to, to throw in there, explain and kind you, of what we're doing. I, I've, I've seen you do this. You then will sometimes turn around and use those young players who are either going to maintain or gain value to then trade back into the rookie drafts because you're, you're still doing this long-term window as well. You moved it all into the first year, but you can now trade some of those young players and get back into the first of this draft if you wanted to some of them may have gained significant value. Yeah, and in, even in some cases, you know, trying to then move off of players where maybe you lost some value, but the value is still there, the risk-wise. Someone we're probably going to move in this league is Trevor Lawrence because we actually drafted quite a few QBs. It's just, it's so important. And one of the things that we have seen now is that last year's draft class failed. I think it's interesting to see where the players are going in this draft because... An interesting development, at least for me, in the early Rotoviz Triflex startups, last year's rookie QBs who struggled are still going very early. And I think that points in a number of directions. Number one, I think they're actually being a little overdrafted. I wouldn't be picking them there. And at the same time, you look at this class and say, like, how good would they actually have to be to be second round startup picks next year? 
and look at where they're going in a rookie draft, right? And so there's a there's a disconnect there value-wise that I think that you can take advantage of. And so if you move into the draft here to take some of these QBs, the other thing about this now is that, I mean, there's so much criticism of the class that I think it's a little bit overstated at this point. You know, we do think that Willis is going to go. And I'm rooting for him. I, I think that he's got a super high ceiling, a really fun type of play. But he also may be the fifth of these five guys, right? I mean, Sam Howell not being projected in most first rounds that I see. He's probably the best prospect. He's probably the guy who has the most in common with, say, a Justin Herbert, where the last season is getting kind of this disproportionate attention where, I mean, the profile itself is, you know, someone who is a good prospect right? Then you look at some of the other guys. It looks like Pickett is going to go. He's more the high floor, pretty low ceiling kind of play, depending on how you want to do that. But then you look at the other two guys, Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter are, as far as I can tell, are very trendy in this moment. And there are so many teams that need the QBs are, are guys who now are getting a lot of praise for their their arm, either quick release or overall strength, the movement that they can do. It, it just, these guys have warts and yet they also fit with what the current NFL wants to do if they were to hit. I mean, are the teams going to really not take a shot at that? I mean, you've mentioned all the time about these teams that are taking like a corner in the top 10 picks when they don't have a franchise quarterback. It's just, so I guess I'm pretty optimistic and I think that there is, a potential again to profit over these next two or three weeks where that gap that's opened up right now is going to close are you guys i mean so you're through eight picks here it sounds to me like at 109 you would be looking at qb do you have of that next group because willis is the one that is getting the buzz i mean you look at my single qb draft willis went at 108 and no other quarterback is gone into the third round and you and I talked a little bit before the show I'm you know I'm hoping that we get to my pick at 310 before this show publishes because I'm sitting there and I all I have on this team is Matt Ryan and Daniel Jones at this point for quarterbacks and I'm like I'm gonna you know I'm really hoping that Ritter gets there I think once the quarterbacks start to go and someone takes Corral or Pickett that Howell and, and Ritter maybe Ritter will go before those guys but Probably I'm going to take any quarterback I can get my hands on there at 310 because at this point it does feel like compared to some of the other running backs, receivers, and tight ends that are going in into the third round of, of this, again, it's a single QB league, so we're already pretty deep, that these quarterbacks make a lot of sense here. In a super flex, if you get into a spot like you're in, the first eight picks have gone, only one quarterback is gone. Is it pretty clear now ahead of – you know, Isaiah Spiller or maybe George Pickens that these other quarterbacks should be going at this point. And is it a situation you said this team you have has a lot of quarterbacks, but say you are on in this spot of a super flex draft without much quarterback depth and you wanted to maybe take a shot on an upside quarterback. I guess my question would be, number one, would you be trying to trade in here? and take advantage of the fact that this next whole group of quarterbacks seems to be pushing down probably somewhat because of the failure of the 2021 class somewhat because it's hard to pick which of these next guys is the, the preferred option. And so part of me wants to ask you to rank them as well, but does this look like an opportunity in rookie drafts? I think so. I, part of it, 
that comes into play and, and justifiably. It's just that if you have one pick in this range, then I think you're just scared to miss and scared to get the guy who actually does fall into the middle of the second round and is not guaranteed to start maybe ever. And so then you feel like you, you've made a huge mistake and you want to take that safety. One of the things that I do like to do in super flex drafts is just to let the quarterbacks push people down and take the position players, right? And I've, I've had some leagues that have been able to win despite very poor quarterback play because the position player depth is so extraordinary. And so I'm not against what's happening here. It's just kind of interesting that it is, I think, exploitable. And it's another thing where having multiple picks really helps you. So I, looking at these drafts, it makes me very excited to do our draft when it comes along to do the draft of Blair, to do the draft of Monty, where we have you know three to four first round picks and the multiple second round picks, because it's going to play so perfectly to what this class actually has to offer. You know, you mentioned Kenneth Walker. Walker goes a little bit earlier, I think, in this draft because the drafter who selected him actually had three or four picks kind of staggered. And so they were going to be able to get wide receivers and multiple wide receivers. And so they were making sure we get the running back who won't necessarily fall. And then maybe we get our second option at wide receiver, but we know we're going to get receivers. So I think that's the dynamic there a little bit. And then, then what's interesting about the way that we built our teams and kind of the way the FFPC draft works is that most of these are two or three running backs and then we're loaded at the other positions. And so then the idea is that obviously you're going to churn running back is the position that doesn't maintain its value as well. It's not good for the flex positions, but you do have to play guys and you do want guys as you're building an actual dynasty who have the upside. So it'll be interesting for us where we have the multiple first round picks, is that something that we would also do where we would draft Walker earlier? Maybe then we would take him if we only had one pick and maybe it's a 30 roster spot league where we have a lot of running backs as opposed to just a small handful and then know that we're going to get the receivers and quarterbacks as the draft develops, or do we like those wide receivers enough better that that's the direction we go anyway. And if Walker falls to us sometime later, then fine. You know, if not, we're we're okay with it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. That idea that the the draft in your other league, I like I said, there was no names on on this draft, and and seeing Walker ahead of Burks and Wilson felt like a mistake to me. But when you lay it out like that, I think it makes perfect sense to to take Walker. And I, I do think these receivers are so close. Like it was really hard for me to pick at one or two uh, in my other draft, and where I took Burks, I would have been perfectly fine landing Wilson or London. Or even Jameson Williams, who, I mean, obviously you have a little bit, like he should be going after them essentially because you don't have this potential to just gain immediate value early in their rookie year because he's not going to be playing. I mean, you have sort of a what happened with Rashad Bateman element where we already know it's going to be a limited rookie year. And then you have a really small sample where, yes, he could come back and have a really strong like six games. But even that won't necessarily blow his value out of proportion and that's obviously no guarantee. He's going to be like working up and almost certainly with these rookies, we already know it takes time for them to get into like a full-time route share in their rookie season. And so when they're coming off injury, like a, like a Bateman, as an example, last year, he wasn't playing full-time right away. It was sort of like he had to then make some plays and earn that opportunity. And there's just not enough time in his rookie year to finish that, that stretch and get to a full-time play with enough games left to then establish as a full-time player. He's really, really good. And so you can see that for Williams, it is a, it's a two-year bet, basically, is the way that I view it. And maybe even he's the type of guy that there will be an opportunity to buy after his rookie year. There probably is on Rashad Bateman right now, a little bit of an opportunity if you're really high on him. Bateman obviously had the injury in the 
preseason, we didn't know this all offseason that he was going to you know, miss part of his rookie year. But knowing that about Williams, even as good of a prospect as he is, he should probably go behind these guys. But in terms of his long-term ceiling, it still looks really strong. And you mentioned the draft capital could be really great still. I've seen people talk about him in the top 10. And so there's reason to be pretty optimistic long-term. And so through that stretch, you know, taking a walker and then having the opportunity to get Burks or Wilson, or maybe it's Williams, depending on where your other pick lines up, it balances obviously what you take out from your, your overall haul of your draft to get even a Walker and a Williams or a Walker and a Wilson or a Walker and a London or whoever the third of the big three receivers is, as opposed to maybe taking two of those receivers if Walker goes and you don't get a running back. I think that makes a lot of sense in, from a, a strategy perspective within your rookie draft when you have those multiple picks. So I like that. That's something that I think we'll have to play with a lot as we think about how we want to approach. And, and we were talking about the quarterbacks in this segment as we started. I, I imagine you think similarly about the quarterbacks, not to reach for Willis. You mentioned like there's this possibility he's going to end up being the worst of the group that we could wait, 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 and maybe take Ritter if he goes last or or whoever. Um, Ritter's going to be the one that if if he gets first round draft capital, I think people are going to get really, really excited about him. The landing spot's going to be pretty big right now. If you look at just MFL ADP, he's going behind all those other QBs, but people have talked a lot about his polish. Obviously he led the Bearcats to the college football playoff last year, has a little bit of mobility. And if you talk about that type of a player getting an actual good landing spot and some real draft capital, I think he's going to immediately shoot up right behind Willis because of the mobility and all of those elements. But um, we can kind of play it. If Sam Howell's the one that falls, you mentioned that maybe he's the one that has the, the most Herbert-like profile. But to get a quarterback, if we want to get a quarterback, and I think on our roster we're looking at one. We took Ryan Fitzpatrick last year in our, <laughs> in our startup that maybe landing one of them later in the first round or into the early second round with all those picks we have will make sense at quarterback. So I'm starting to see what you're saying in terms of the structure of how our rookie draft could go with all these picks where – it might make sense to take one of the running backs high and then hammer a receiver a little bit with a couple of the mid-round firsts and then maybe look at quarterback with our fourth pick in the first round or in the early second. That makes a lot of sense. But I want to get your quarterback take. I want to put you on the spot while we finish. Willis is already gone. You're on the You're on the clock in this league that you sent me. The top five receivers have all gone. The top two running backs. And that's the other really interesting part of these rookie drafts. You don't typically see, there's been some classes, but five receivers going while only two running backs have gone. And then even still from there, like I described in my single QB league, the other one, from there, you're still getting more receivers into the second round than running backs. But it's a lot of receivers early. Only a couple running backs. You're on the clock there. You can't trade out. No one will let you move. You have to make a pick there in a super flex league. I'm assuming it's a quarterback, but maybe it's not. So I'm leaving this open-ended, but who would be your pick? Yeah, I think you probably have to go with Corral. He's the next guy where I just think there's a pretty high floor to where it actually goes in the draft. He's going to go into a situation where he's going to be able to play very quickly. And then he brings, I think the upside people love the quick release. He's got the mobility. He just, he does what a contemporary NFL quarterback needs to do 
stylistically, then the question is, you know, just are you good enough? But then you look at the other guys, Pickett, a little bit more of a low ceiling guy. Ritter, I think, is the one who's really fun. Now, I mean, his actual resume is not quite as strong as these guys, and I think it's one of the reasons why through most of this process he was being put fifth. Now, he he does a lot of cool things. Again, someone who fits perfectly what the NFL does. I watch him. I think he looks great, right? Now, people who have spent their entire offseason doing this, where that's you know that's their thing, will we'll tell you that uh, one of the reasons why he is not considered to be the star prospect is he, he – does miss throws he misses some throws high obviously that gives you these cam newton flashbacks where you're like that that's not really what you want to see so you know there are some red flags but as you mentioned very trendy again someone i think is going to go in a situation where he at least gets a chance and so just that chance i think puts him in that trey lance justin fields kind of group where you know the value there is going to rise the one that i like the best also and the most concerned about because it does seem like He's the person who could end up not getting to play. And then you don't get that value bump that almost anybody gets just from being out there some and and moving around would be how, but again, if he falls, you know, into the mid second where you have a shot at him, I think that's very, very fun. So these drafts are set up nicely Uh, more than what we've seen recently. I, I, I say that, and there have been lots of QB surprises. Definitely when Watson and Mahomes were, they went in drafts, it was controversial that you know Watson made it to the point he did but also controversial that he was drafted that high obviously Mahomes controversial those two guys now I mean if you put aside the off-field stuff just very exciting quarterbacks and I think that we're going to see that from some of these guys and again just in super flex the value is there so I I look at it from both directions because I like to pass and and try and play the Jimmy Garoppolo's but I think that there is this value opportunity 2022 a lot of fun rotavis triflex leagues are drafting you and i will obviously have a lot of coverage for our draft we'll have coverage for some of the other drafts that we're doing i mentioned that i desperately wanted dotson in our staff underdog league he came within one spot of me in round 14 where i thought he should have gone quite a bit above that but travis may our debbie guru did grab him michael dudner has a lot of great stuff on the site with that you can get the coupon code rotoviz in there when you sign up and get a hundred dollar deposit discount over there at underdog we're gonna have lots of cool tools anthony shook is working on some things for you uh that you'll be very excited by what that allows you to do with underdog and then i also know that one of the next things that you have planned are some cool prospect related pieces so if you're not signed up for stealing signals you'll want to do that before those come out you don't want to miss it that'll wrap us up today on stealing bananas we've gone long but we haven't talked for a week, so we had to uh, get back in and, and get this nice long discussion going. I'm Sean Siegel with me as always is Ben Gretsch. You can follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. You can sign up to Rotoviz with the coupon code RVRadio2022 at checkout and get 10% off. We appreciate all you guys have done in terms of leaving us ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast app. Go in and add an exclamation point or something like that and hit refresh, and that really helps us with the algorithm. Sign up for the feed. You'll get these when they come out. And we'll be back with you again a little bit later in the week. Talk to you guys then. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.